Before we start today's episode, I'd like to pay tribute to an important figure from the British baseball community, as Tanya Crammen, who uh, sadly passed away over the weekend. Uh, Tanya was an important figure in the youth setup at the London Mets, and she'll have impacted and touched so many lives over the years. Um, those who knew Tanya knew how amazing she was. You had to see the mentions pouring in on social medias from from teams and 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 players, and even those outside the baseball community, just to see how much that she actually meant to them. Um, I never had the honour of meeting um, Tanya, but from talking on the show to to Coach Kremen, um when I had the chance to speak to him, it was clear just how much she meant to him. Um, so my love and support goes to him, and this episode is dedicated to her. You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. Hello baseball fans and welcome into another episode of the British Baseball Podcast. I'm Matthew and I'm joined this week by a special guest and a co-host, uh, both of them Liverpool Trojans. The guest is a player whose career has spanned over 30 years. He started off playing at a tender age of 15 years old and he's uh, helped his club achieve 13 divisional titles in over 16 years, and those between years of 2003 and 2018, he's also had a fair few national team appearances to boot as well. And um, although he hasn't officially retired, the man known as Goddy was inducted into the GB Hall of Fame in 2020. And along with my co-host Ian Bleas, uh, he's going to tell us more about his stunning career, falling with the love with the game, how he developed a competitive mindset, training over in America, the impact uh, that Norman Wells had on his career. Uh, charging him out on national TV, how Italian women almost got him in trouble in the national team, and also eating grass the night before a game. Um, a health note, now I'm not a doctor, but you're not a cow, don't try doing that. I won't ruin the rest of you, uh, here to explain it all, uh, all you have to do is sit back and listen, is my guest today, Martin Goddy Godsall. Enjoy. Um, Martin, Hall of Famer. Liverpool Trojan, uh, welcome to the British Baseball Podcast. How are you? I'm great, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for agreeing to, to come on. And uh, as, a, as a little treat for you all, I've got with me a co-host for the evening, Liverpool Trojan's very own Ian Bleese. Bleesey, how are we doing? I'm good, thanks, Matt. Thanks for asking me to come on. Looking forward to this. Good, good, good. Uh, this is your third appearance now on the show, so that's your hat trick. There is no uh, ball to be given, just... Uh, Oh, thank you very much. Um, so, Martin, let's talk about your amazing career. You've recently been inducted into the Hall of Fame for Great British Baseball. Uh, what an achievement. How, how does that make you feel? Oh, unbelievable, Matt. You know, I was made up, um, believe it really, but um, yeah, very proud and um, made up with the people who have put me forward for it as well. You know, I've got a lot of people to thank for it. But uh, yeah, I couldn't be prouder. Excellent. Uh, I know we sort of like touched it, the sort of 
a bit of a spoiler alert that you you end up in the Hall of Fame. But if we just do a quick rewind, you, you've been involved in the British game for is it thirty odd years. Thirty six. Thirty six years, um, and you started off as a teenager uh, when um, you got introduced to it at school. Uh, do you want to talk us through that story? Yeah, well, it all started when I played. I was playing cricket for the school, actually, um, playing against a lot of other schools, and I ended up getting into the the bowling side of things um, pretty from the from the way I go, really. Um, PE teacher Mal Hudson, who was actually a Liverpool chosen himself, which I didn't know at the time. Um, he got me into the cricket, and then it just went from there really but in the end I, was, I started to get a bit bored with the cricket because I, I was I always needed to be on the go either batting or bowling stood in the field really didn't do it for me you know it was a bit waiting for the ball to come to me I needed to be on the go all the time so I had a word with him with Mal Hudson and you know explained this to him that I was getting a bit bored of it and he, he pointed me in the direction of baseball saying he played for Liverpool Trojans and you know, I shouldn't do nothing because of the arm I had on me. He said, you got a hell of a throw on me. So um, I started training with Mal Hudson in, in my dinner hour in school, just having a throw, doing a bit of pitching. He was going through, through the mechanics and just the basic stuff because he wasn't a pitcher himself, Mal. He was a shortstop. He was just teaching me the, the basics and um, mainly mechanics, really, on throwing. And then uh, I took it from there. But I, I sort of, I think I had that. I was always throwing anyway as a kid. I was always throwing apples and skimming stones, always throwing something. You know, so probably helped from my childhood when I was young. I was always always throwing things. Yeah. That's cool. Big three windows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, just to follow up on that, God, if I can. Like so, obviously you're uh, you've got this ability to throw, you know. Um, you've you've been throwing since you were since you were little. Um, your PE teacher spots it. He can see that you can throw. Um, it's obviously quite a journey from someone who can throw the, throw, throw a ball, throw things, uh, to becoming a Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, well, I went from when I left the cricket. I went to a, a team called the Insplundle Freebirds, who were based just down the road from me. Just down the road from Formby, and there was, um, I think, Norman. No, uh, it wasn't Norman. It was uh, a lad from school, Peter Swift. His dad was running the club. And we used to train at High Town, at, uh, High Town Cricket Club or Inns Blundell. No, Inns Blundell Cricket Club it was. At the little clubhouse in the woods. Um, but he wasn't really, his dad wasn't really from a baseball background. But he put me on to the likes of Stan Williams. It was Alan Williams, his dad, and all the Williams brothers played. And then it went from Stan onto Norman Well Senior then, because they were running a team together in Litherland. So I went from them, playing for the Freebirds. I remember the first tournament we played in was in Litherland High. I think it was only about 15. First over a weekend it was. And I pitched three five-inning games over two days. And the only way I could stop my arm from aching, I had four pillows in my bed that night and my arm on the top of them. My mum kept coming in with another pillow. I was going, no, no, I need another one. 
But uh, that experience, and we, we ended up winning, the, you know, we got to the final and won it. But after that, I was just, lo- I just fell in love with the game. Now. I was just like, you know, the buzzer striking someone out and like being in control all the time of the game. And it was just great. Like, and that's, that's where I got the book from at first. That's where it all started. Yeah, but there was there was a lot of local teams then as well. There was there was a local junior league. There was um, there's about three teams in Skem. Yeah, they were all, always our main rivals. The Talona White Sox, they were always a good side. Um, there was a couple of teams in Southport, and a few others dotted about here and there. So it was a good, you know, it was a good league, which we which we're missing now. I think we're definitely missing now. Was that in the early, like early nineties, late eighties? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we were playing as well. We were playing on a Sunday and a Wednesday evening, and every week, even even went into the seniors playing on the Sunday and the Wednesday. You know, but with the local leagues, you could do it. You see, because you didn't have all that travelling to do. So uh, it was good. Yeah, very well set up. And it sort of, it sort of split there, you know, where you had to do the more, tra- you had to travel more to, you know, against good competition because you always wanted to play against good competition. It's no good winning a ball game twenty nil, you know. You want to. I always like the close games, you know, the battles where you have to battle and then you come out the end, you won it, and, but you know you've been in a ball game, you know. It was great, great days. Who were some of the toughest teams and toughest opponents you played then in those close games? Um. The senior league, probably the likes of I always used to love playing Memorial Hill. That was always a battle. Um, in the in the early days, Skem Tigers, Skemmersdale Tigers, they had the likes of Jeb Bassey, Steve Smith. They were all GB lads as well. But they were always there was always a kickoff as well. Though. When we play, whenever we played the Skem Tigers, there was always a fight. I don't know what it was. It was just a rivalry thing, you know. But uh, they were always good, hard-fought games. I think. Know. I think yeah. going back to when I, you know, when I was uh, playing for uh, for Preston, we used to. I think we used to quite enjoy playing the Trojans. Yeah, it, would always get, it would always get feisty. It would always get. Um, you know, it, it, there would always be a bit of, I don't know, argy bargy for want of a, one of a. But they never got physical. It was always just words. Um, yeah. But you know, I used to think that. You know, I, I remember thinking when I uh, when I came to join the club about, uh, I guess. Uh, six years later, uh, I, rem- I remember thinking, "I remember thinking, oh well, you know, will they actually welcome me? Will you know?" And obviously, it's just, it's just that you know, competitive spirit, isn't it? It's just that, um, yeah, yeah. you know, you just, you just, you, I think at that point in time, that team hated the opposite the opponents every week. But then, as soon as the, uh, as soon as the game was over, ah, you know, let's go and get a pint. Oh yeah, yeah. But at the start of the game, as soon as you cross that white line, that's it. It's, it's game head on. It's like, you know. And then, as you, as you say, after the game, it's, it's great in the clubhouse, you know, it's all pally and, you know, I'd, I'd tell the umpire how many strikes he'd missed. And, yeah. Can I just uh, follow on to that then? You mentioned they're crossing the white line. Because um, I think one of the things that um, has been said about you a lot um, is the competitive mindset that, that you have personally. Um, and um, I was just wondering if you've if you've always been that way in everything that you've done, or if it's something that you that you had to learn to do um, in order to become a better pitcher. Um, it's you've got to really you've got to get in that mindset to be a great pitcher. I think it's because a lot of it is in the head. 
You know, it's mind games. It's, it's you and the it's you against the batter. It's it's just outwitting him, putting him off balance. You know, you know if if he knows what you're gonna throw, nine times out of ten he's gonna hit that ball. So he's just gotta keep him off. But keep him thinking. You know, always get ahead in the count. So he's thinking more, put him under more pressure. So I was always used to. But the the best thing is about it's about being efficient. It's about knowing knowing your opposition, knowing the batters, what will they chase, what will they swing at, what won't they swing at, type of thing. But it's um, a lot of it's mind games. It's, you know, the likes of Paul Mason when I was, I'd go through the whole signal, give me the sign, I'd shake him off every one. And then the batter would be thinking, how many how many pitches has he got here? You know, so you go, it go around again. So you know that he's thinking. So you're ahead, you're ahead already. It's uh, always get ahead, I'd say. Get ahead in the count and then, you know, you can play around a bit then. But, uh, well, for for those efficient. people that no. don't know, oh, I was going to say, for those people that don't know, uh, Paul Mason uh, is uh, is a catcher for the Trojans and, and has been uh, for about 15, 20 years. A long-term yeah, battery mate, long-term battery mate of, uh, of Martin's. In fact, over the years, uh, I think what, one thing that has always been... Uh, noticeable for someone who, who watched your pitch as often as I did, is that you always had a solid partner, whether it was Alan Williams, uh, he was with the club when I first... Yeah, I Chris G, Chris G was another great catcher. Chris G, Rob Alger, um, and uh, obviously the other one would be, uh, from, from recent time, would be Dave Martin Byers as well. Yeah, yeah, Dave's um, solid right? Yeah, I mean, uh, and obviously for GB, you were pitched uh, to, well, to several great catchers, but um, yeah. there's another Hall of Famer in there in, in Josh Chetwind. Um, yeah. I was just wondering how important that, that relationship is between the pitcher and the catcher and um, and how a catcher can really help push a pitcher to the next level. Oh, it's very important. You've got you've got to trust each other more than that. That's why I had a good thing with Paul Mason because, you know, he was involved in so many games. And so many big games as well. You know, you wouldn't just put the glove in the same. It'd spot the glove. You'd put it in different places. Because it's no good just bending down, sticking the glove in the middle. You know, you, it's another way of getting the batter thinking, shifting his feet, moving his glove over, inside, outside, high and low. But, um, yeah, it's having that trust. I could tell anything. It's very rarely to do anything in the day. But if it did, I just knew it wouldn't get past Paul. He was that, he was that solid. He'd block anything. But, um, yeah, very good catch, yeah. The only thing that let Paul down was his throw to second. If he did that, he would have, he would have been mustered, you know. Because uh, I, I used to say to him, just let it go, just throw it. But he said, <laughs> I just couldn't get it, get it there. But, uh, yeah, he couldn't. He, he's still, uh, so, yeah, he's still, uh, I mean, Paul's only maybe a, a year younger than a year younger than me, so he's been in the game a long time. But uh, he just, he's never been able to shift that double pump. Um, you know, on, oh, on, that, no, no. on that throw down to second, he's got a fantastic arm on him, but he's yeah. never been able to, uh, to shift that double pump. Uh, every so often, he'll throw a runner out, but never got as many as he should do uh, on the back because you're quite quick to the plate and you've got a yeah. runner on first. You know, it's a, it's a quick slide step, it's a, it's a, it's a, short, it's a short throw, um, and the ball's in the catcher's glove before you know, a lot quicker than you than, than most pitchers get it there. Um, yeah. and yeah, over the years, we probably should have had plenty more people caught stealing than we did. Hmm. Can I ask Martin as well? Um, if, if say I was a, a young pitcher starting out, 
what was the best way or how did you start forging these relationships with your catchers? Is it just a case of being good friends off the field or do you spend a lot of time talking with each other through training? Um, can you talk us through the, those phases? Yeah, no worries, Matt. Um, yeah, it's, it, it helps if you have that friendship. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, you've got to have a, a good battery and um, it's up to you and the catcher to know the batters really, before the game, do a scout report. I mean, when you're playing in the Euros and stuff, you don't have that that beauty of knowing the batters. Where, but when you're playing your local leagues, you know who the good sticks are. So, you know, I, Paul said I like to Paul Mason. They didn't know where to, to set the mitt up because he knew what they'd chase. He knew what whether they go high, low, inside, outside what they chase, what a big strikeout pitch for them, um, whether I wanted to waste the pitch. Because when I always used to get two strikes on a batter, I'd, I tend to throw high and fast. Really, you should just go straight after them because they're going to be thinking, most batters will think he's going to waste the pitch now and rather just going after them. But if you're two strikes, you might as well get something out of the zone you know, just don't put it straight in there. And like some good batters, don't pitch to them, pitch round them. You know, I was always taught to pitch round them. Don't give them anything to hit. The likes of um, you know, Frank Parker, Ray Brownlee. Uh, there was a there was a fella at Burton Wood called uh, John Lee, one of the best batters ever. Superb. Hit a fastball. Every time you do him a fastball, you cream it over the fence. You threw him anything off speed, strike him out every time. It was weird, but he, was, uh, he had such a sweet, sweet swing. He was just uh, unbelievable. But it's just there, uh, you know. It's you've got to have, you've got to be in the right, right mindset as well. You've got to concentrate so much when you're pitching because you're controlling ninety percent of that game. You've got the ball in your hand ninety percent ninety percent of the time. It's. Um, the likes of men, there was a, there was another batter, men with, I didn't know him by name. We used to call him in. Oh, what, what was what did you used to call him by? The exterminator. And I remember it was the last inning. And uh, they had a runner on second and third. We were one run up and he got up to bat. And I don't know who the manager, he said, walk him. And I was thinking, no. No, I'm, I'm, he's human. He's, yeah, I'm not walking him. I was just going to go after him. So I had the full count on him. Pitch down the middle and he creamed it over the fence. And he won the ball. And he was laughing as he was, he was laughing as he went around the bases. He was laughing. And I was just like, uh, I should have listened to the manager, you know. But it's one of them things. You know, I, I just hated, hated walking people. I just thought, you know, I'm going to go after him. But it depends what type of game you're in. If you're in a final and, you know, there's players there for a the reason because they're at the top of the game and they're having a good year. So you've got to be a bit more a bit more careful. You know, it, it does help sometimes to walk the batter. Yeah. You know, you're only going to get to first base rather than getting, you know, driving in a couple of runs. Just let them get on first base. I've learned that now, but it's, you know, when it was too late. <laughs> Talking of successful spells, you've been involved in a lot of the Trojans Championship campaigns. Are any of those as standout favourites for you? And if, if there are any, um, why so? Oh, yeah, most definitely, Matt. The first win 
2011. We've been pimped at the post so many times in the final by, you know, one out, one error or one run. And in them games, one error will lose you the game. But every time we've been for been there four or five years on the bounce, and we got beaten the semi or the final, you know, just by by the slightest thing. But each each time, I think we lost. We kept the same players, kept the same club. You then players learned every time. I mean, lost, didn't you? So every year we went, we were more clued up, getting in the right mindset, preparation before the game, eating the right food, you know, just getting your head down in the hotel, not going going out on the aisle. I I probably did when I was younger, <laughs> but it was just preparation. You've got you have one shot, one shot only. And you've just got to be so on the ball. Like in that final, it's a big game. And that was the national final. That was against Oxford Kings. Um, and then the year after, 2012, we beat uh, it was the Red Wings. Redbacks. Redbacks, uh, yeah. So but that, that winning that first British champion was, was, was the big moment for me. Because we've been there. We've been so close so many years. And uh, we had a party that night. Yeah. Well, for a couple of days, we were partying. Probably the week. <laughs> yeah. It was great to win that. Yeah, and I share that as one of my favourite memories as well. But I'll tell you what, Mark, uh, another favourite memory of mine about you was actually a game that you were a game that you weren't playing in, um, and it was um, it was a game where we were we were fifteen runs down coming into the bottom of the last inning against uh, against Hull Scorpions, oh. yeah. and um, we were. We were beaten. I like to think of myself as someone who maintains a competitive, a competitive mindset. But even in this moment, my head had gone. You know, um, we started off the inning uh, two runs down. Um, the, the pitcher, uh, the pitcher who was on, walked about. I, I changed it to another pitcher, and it just went, it just went really wrong from, you know, from there out for us. And we ended up 15 runs down. Uh, we eventually make the, we eventually make the final out. And we're trudging off the field slow, not hustling off, not not you know. We've got one more chance, and um, and Goddy just grabs everyone and he pulls them in, uh, and he's like, right, we are not beaten yet. We're never beaten until uh, we're never you beaten until that third out. Last pitch. Um, and uh, somehow, um, you know, it started off one hit at a time. I think Paul Smith led off the inning. Yeah, yeah, um, amazing, amazing day. And uh, one hit at a time, a few walks, a, a few errors, sure, you know. Um, but all the way through this, uh, it started out just being Goddy. It, it, Goddy was really cheerleading, really shouting from the side, uh, really lifting the team. And then as the inning progressed, more and more of us got on base and, uh, and started to make the impossible seem like it might happen. Um, the whole volume lifted it. But I don't think that would have happened without that without that rallying cry on the way off. And that's how someone can affect the game who's not even in it, just through their own mentality and positive thinking. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's just to see how much depth you've got in the team and how much strength you've got in the team. Um, and I just took that opportunity to, to say, you know, let's see what we're made of. You know, and then to come to win it in the end was just unbelievable, like. But it, as I say, it's not over till uh, that last out. So you've got every chance of winning. Yeah. You know, but it, it was a great day that when, you know, I don't think there was much conversation on the minibus I've pulled on the way home. 
<laughs> have, you, have you ever uh, have you ever received some really good advice along them lines? If you're, or were you just a person that would dish it out? Um, probably just dishing it out, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had loads of good advice. The likes of when you know, been to the states, the Coco Expo. With the, some of the coaches we had there were just out of this world. I like to Kevin Russell and Ernie Russo who, who run Brevard County and the university there. They were just amazing. You know, everything they said, they, you could you just, you could tell, you know, you only had to change slight little things about your game, but it made a hell of a difference where a lot of coaches look for the bigger thing, but it's, it's little tiny things that can make a hell of a difference in baseball in your game. How you hold the ball. How hard you're holding it, where you're holding it on the ball, where you're holding it on your fingers. And little tiny things make a hell of a difference, I think, in baseball. Especially mechanics as well. A lot of mechanics involved with pitching and hitting as well. You know, it's, uh, yeah, we had some, uh, it, was, it was great advice. We got on Coco Expo. It was a great trip. Two weeks there. I mean, after the first week, I never wanted to see another baseball for as long as I lived. Because it was every day. It was like 100 degrees every day. And we're, trained, we're in the classroom, 7 o'clock in the morning, going through what we're going to be doing on the field. And I'll be on the field, like 100 degrees every day. And then come in for dinner, back out on the field. And then at night, we'd play a different college or university under the floodlights. Well, that was every day for two weeks. So after about a week, even if I looked at a baseball, my arm ate because it was just, we're just throwing every day. But that's that's what it's about. If you want, if you want it that much, that's, you know, these top coaches, they'll push you and push you and push you just to see how much you you really want it and you, you want to do it and how much you love the game. Did your gaming, like, change that much after those two weeks? Did you come back and people, like, visibly notice the difference? Or is it a gradual thing? Oh, yeah. When you See, when the dust settles, when you get home and, you know, you, you've stopped taking... And then you put it all into practice then. And it's just the things you've learned, you know. You can only really put them into practice when, you, when you're not sore. When you've, you know, you've been training for two weeks in the heat and everything. And, you know, you wanted to get away from it. You wanted a bit of a blow from the baseball. But after a week, you were just, I was just chomping at a bit. Then. I just wanted to get on the field and put everything into practice, what I'd learned there. And then, yeah, I learned so much there. It's, it's great, you know. Tournaments for stamina and building players. I used to always love the all-star tournaments because most of the players, the, you know, they're the, the best players in the country, what you could be playing on the GB side with. But to get them all together, players as a team, you can have, you can, you, I've always said you can have the most expensive players from all around the world. If you don't gel as a team, you've got nothing. You haven't got anything. It's got to, I mean, that gel just happens. No money can buy it. It just, it just happened. And when it happens, it's amazing. It's just the best feeling. When everything clicks into place, all the players are having a great time. And, you know, you're winning ball games. And it's all good, like, it's great. Can't beat it. But, uh, you mentioned the gel um, and the... Uh, uh... Uh, and how important that is between between a team. Uh, obviously, the Trojans had a, had a lot of success um, in your last 16 years uh, as a player. We won the Northern title uh, 13 times. Um, the core of that team stayed together for 
throughout that throughout that time. There were there were other very important players who who came and gone. Too many to name, but the core of that team stayed together. And I think mm. I, I think that, that I think that the the relationship that we had that we had with each other, the ability to know when to uh, you know break the mood with a joke or um, or pick someone up when they when they when they're down. Uh, you know, I think that was invaluable. And I think with a few exceptions. Um, I don't think we had a load of outstanding players, but I think together we formed an outstanding team. And that's why we were yeah, able to, yeah, to dominate definitely. the way that we did. Yeah, and we stuck together, you see. We had the same players, didn't we, for years? Which, you know, is, is great, like, you know, the likes of Harry Wren and the Smiths, Ian Smith, and, you know, they, they, they were all together. And then we played together for years, really. You know, you had the, the likes of Rob Fondy and then, you had Ronald thrown in in the final, one of the, you know the Venezuelan, but it was just uh, when we won that first championship, it was just there was just the team just it just worked everything worked, and then even the year after, and then we lost a few players after that, and then it, they sort of lost away a bit, and then it was just trying to get new players to fill them spots like. But when we won the championship, 2011. Everyone knew each other's strengths and weaknesses, I thought. You know, what they're capable of. So you could put them in certain positions or certain, you know, certain scenarios. You'd know you'd come up with the goods. It wouldn't it wouldn't overwhelm them. Like, you could always rely on them type of thing, which was great. I always remember the, the first championship. Um, we had Luch uh, playing right field and batting nine. Yeah, Luch uh, another great player. Chris. Chris Luciano, um, an American, an American guy, he played for us a few, um, for about. I think he played for us about for about four or five years yeah. uh, while he was while he was studying over here. And I remember thinking, wow, if he's our ninth best hitter, we're doing yeah. all right, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that that side was great. And obviously, um, it was a few years in the making. Uh, one of my biggest regrets is the is the is the year before the. Uh, um, because you'd, uh, your body was quite modest before, but when we, uh, the format was different in 2010, which is the year that we lost in the final to Oxford Kings. Um, you, you had to win two games to get to the, to get to the final. Um, and we had ridden Goddy hard on the Saturday. Um, Goddy had pitched two complete games for us. Um, and we weren't staying on Sunday night. And we had dominated those first two games on the Saturday and we weren't playing until 2 p.m. the next day on the Sunday. So we went out and we had a few beers and then a few beers turned into a few more beers and a few shots. And eventually we staggered into the hotel at about two or three in the morning. And the next day at 2 p.m., we're all still hungover um, and we lost. We didn't think we could lose. Mm. You know, we, 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 were, we were overconfident and that was the biggest yeah. learning experience of, of oh, my yeah. career and I felt and I know several others on the team felt the same way but I felt awful for you Goddy because of what you'd done on day one and you know that you couldn't have done any more for us uh, and, and we'd let you down by um, I, I know you were with us but um, but we'd let you down <laughs> by, not, by not taking it by, you know by not taking the game with the seriousness and Oxford deservedly um, did a number on us that year and we had to wait 12 months to, to get our revenge on them which, uh, yeah, which was which all was the great. sweeter for it, I think. Harry Wren making the last out yeah. of third base. That oh, was great. Yeah, it was uh, Harry Wren to Ian Smith on second, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I was shouting to Harry. It was a run off first and second. 
So it's a false play. I said, just just touch it back, touch it back. <laughs> oh, when he done it, I was made up. Waited that long, so many years to win it. And I just thought, that's the yeah. one thing I wanted. And that was the national then. You know, now it's sort of northern, isn't it? But when you're playing the best in the country and you come up with the goals, it's great. And especially when you when you beat the southerners. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was still it was still triple it was still triple A level. Yeah, um, yeah. So there was you know it was still the there was still the national baseball league. But yeah, but yeah, you, but you are right. It is different when you're taking in you know when you when you're beating teams. Uh, usually, if I remember rightly, there's only one northern team that ever qualified for the um, for the national finals because there were more triple A teams down south in yeah. those days. Um, um, so yeah, usually only one of us would, uh, only one of us would go or we'd have to have a playoff down south yeah. the week before. Um, and uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was it was really special that. That's really cool. Uh, I'm glad we got to do it for Norman as well. I want to I want to come on to Norman uh, if uh, if I if I can, Martin. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you you mentioned Norman before. Uh, aware that um, some listeners will know very well who Norman Wells is. Um, others others might not. Um, Norman's a, a fellow Hall of Famer. Um, he was elected in the first class when they founded the uh, the the. Uh, British Baseball Hall of Fame. He was one of the first members, along with uh, Sir John Moores, another Merseysider. Um, what can you tell us about about Norman? Uh, you know about what he did about what he did for you, but perhaps more uh, what he did for baseball in uh, in Liverpool and the Trojans. Yeah, well, if it wasn't for Norman, I probably wouldn't um, be sat here now. The Hall of Fame, baseball badge around my neck. <laughs> it's his. Uh, it was Norman and Stan Williams who introduced me to it and um, sort of kept me, Norman and Stan kept me under their wing, really. And sort of, um, you know, because it was junior leaguers, I started with them. And then, but they used to argue, Norman would want me to pitch every inning of every game, of every tournament. And Stan Williams would be like, no, no, we can't, we can't. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to just, just put me in there, I'll do it. But, uh, and that's when I ended up with four cushions in my bed that night with my mum bringing more in to stop my arm aching. Because I had to put my arm right on top of the cushions, pillows to stop it aching. But uh, yeah, Norman, great, great man. But a uh, lovely fella. Um, yeah, it was always, I was always talking with him on the sidelines and I'd always get his advice about what I should and shouldn't be doing. And I mean, I did ask him about batting and he just used to laugh at me. He said, listen, Goddy, pitches don't bat. You don't hit. Just get out there and throw the ball. <laughs> if you get a hit, it's a bonus, he used to say. <laughs> but uh, he said, oh, he, he, he was great, Norman, yeah. He's uh, pointed me in the right direction and, and kept me under his wing. Like, you know, apart from- I used to really enjoy, I used to really enjoy your uh, conversations after the game. Um, so, because Norman used to score everything on paper, um, yeah. and you'd be straight over there at the end of the, you'd be straight over there. Certainly in uh, in your uh, in your younger days, you'd be straight over there. You'd be looking in the book, and you'd be going, "That wasn't a hit. No, that was an <laughs> error." <laughs> and I used to love those. Always, always with a, you'd have a, you'd have a pint of lager. Norman would have a, Norman would have a pint of bitter. Um, yeah. And I used to I used to just love like just just eavesdropping on those conversations. It was uh, it was a real experience for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a few good ones with Dell as well. I used to always like the yeah, conversations in, in the bar at Bootle Stadium after the game with Dell. You know, I'd be like, because every time he missed a, a strike, he'd have to buy me a pint. 
before every game. So if you miss a strike, you, you buy me a pint, that's it. And then we get in the bar and I was going, hang on, you missed you missed one in that inning, two in that one. So that, and it'd be he was just adamant he hadn't, like I said, come on, you have we'll, we'll, we'll split the difference, just get us a couple of pints there anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Dell was Del was a good good man as well, like great, you know. But apart from Norman's just uh, you know, he's sorely missed, isn't he? But he's he's done a hell of a lot for baseball though, especially in the northwest. You know, but, um, yeah, he helped me immensely. As I said, we'll be sat here now, you know, Hall of Famer, who wasn't for Norman and Stan Williams, Mal Hudson, if you, a lot of other people. One thing I wanted to ask you about is um, we've mentioned some of these great names in the Hall of Fame with you already. Um, and I wondered about other people from your baseball generation. Maybe, maybe you played so long you spanned a couple of generations. Um, that you think, uh, you know, perhaps are missing uh, from the British Baseball Hall of Fame? Uh, are there any names that you, you know, that spring to mind that you think are in with a good shout of getting there one day? Uh, off the top of the head, I mean, yourself could be in there in one day. No, no. I mean, let's, let's, let's take this seriously. I also definitely wasn't fishing for that either because uh, I think it's, it's no, very no. clear to anybody who knows me and Goddy that um, I benefited a lot more from him being in the team I was playing in than he did from me. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, off the top of the head, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a tough one to answer um, without really looking at, looking at going through stuff from, from the base, from my baseball days. Like... Um, the likes of Chris G, BJ, BJ Delaranda, Robbie Orm, Robbie and Jill Orm, especially Robbie Orm. He's done a hell of a lot for the Trojans. You know, he got he, he got all the money together through the lottery funding and they had to jump through so many hoops to get that money, him and Jill. It was going off for months and then they eventually got it and then they had that much money, we didn't know what to do with it. Because, and then we, we were just buying it. Robbie Orman and, and Jill had said, do we need anything from the club? We've, we've got to buy, we've got to get rid of this money. So we were buying all kinds. We had all the field done, the backstop done. So people, I mean, he lives in Australia now, Robbie, as you know. But um, the likes of Robbie Nesbitt. Yeah, uh, Rob Alger, another one. You know, he got us to two finals. You know, one, two finals there. There's quite a few people in the in the mix, isn't there? We're what about outside the, the Trojans? Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Frank Parker earlier. I know Frank's dad, Frank Parker Senior, just got in at the same time as you. Um, yes, but, uh, Frank I, was I, a great player. I, I, yeah. I always hated pitching to him. I could never strike him out. No, but he's uh, a great for a player, big man. Frank. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Frank Parker. You know, another great player from Hull. There's a lot of great players from Hull. Um, ben from Cartmel Valley. He's, he's done. Ben's done quite a bit, hasn't he? Up to now, it's you know, another great player, another great batter. You know, always. Yeah, I always, always thought always, Ben was. Always I always thought out. Ben was. 
Yeah, um, I, I always thought that you, at, you as a pitcher, I always thought struggled with his uh, brother slightly more than him. He used to love yeah, to just yeah. wait for that, wait for that slider, and just and just take it to right field every single time. Yeah. Uh, James Pearson. He left, so, uh, didn't he? he? Went down uh, south again. Give him, give, him a, give him a shout. Yeah. Yeah. The last time we saw him, he played for Oxford Kings in the final in the semi final against us. He was uh, he was catching for them that year. Where was he? I didn't recognise him. There. I didn't know. Yeah, but um, it's a pity. You know, there was probably Burton, in the Burton Wood days. Now they've all gone now. There was, there was, you know, Bob Blevins. He done a lot for baseball. When I played for Burton, Burton Wood Braves for a couple of years. Because he poached me, um, like I said, Gary Roberts, GB manager. Gary Roberts done quite a bit. He was managing the band, Birmingham Bandits, as well, when I was there with Mike Howell. Um, there's quite a few people in the mix. Yeah, should be up for it. I, I, one of the, I, asked, I asked the guys from the club if there's anything they wanted me to get uh, Martin to tell a story uh, about, and uh, one came up from everybody. Um, who was who was there? I actually wasn't there this day, but it was um, it was uh, an away game in Scotland where we'd camped out the night before. <laughs> the team had camped out the night before. I knew um, this and and uh, that that day, Martin pitched uh, pitched a no hitter, and I wanted to ask about what his preparation for that day was, and if it was any different uh, to his usual routine. <laughs> I hit a bomb that day as well. Eh? Oh, did you? <laughs> I definitely wasn't there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, just, it just it trickled over. It just, <laughs> it just trickled over. Yeah, I mean, that was crazy when we had to muscle there. They were great days then. You know, we used to camp out. We'd get to the campsite. A fella bring one flag over. Can you make a fire on that? Don't go any bigger. So as soon as he left, it starts out and all, you know, prim and proper, nice little campfire, all sat around. Next minute, we're dragging trees out of the woods. To put on the fire. <laughs> yeah. Then the beer come out. So we're all sat around the fire. So uh, daring each other to do stupid things. So anyway, we're all there having a beer board. I think it was Chris Geary. Eat some grass. I was like, you know, we're half bevied by this time. I thought, go on, you know, just daring each other. It's only had a beer. And you know, the, the body can't, you can't digest grass at all. So anyway, I go to bed that night in the tent. My stomach was doing somersaults. And I was, I was cursing Chris. I was like, oh, why did I do it? Why do you eat the grass? <laughs> so the next morning, I came out of my tent. And Jill Orm was cooking the bacon on the stove. And I just got one smell of it. And I just threw up everywhere. But I thought, it's not going to. And we still had the game to play. And I just thought, it's not going to be a good day, this. So anyway, we get to the ground. And every time I bend down to do the warm-ups, I could feel myself going dizzy. Get up and everyone's groaning. Touch your toes, coming up and get, Ugh, everyone's like, you know, nearly throwing up. But uh, yeah, it must have done me the world ago because, as I said, it's the no-hitter. And um, it's a dinger as well on the fence, which I couldn't believe, hadn't it, what a years? <laughs> so, oh, go, God, every time we come now, do exactly the same thing. Get around the campfire, get on the ale, get some grass down you, spew up, and then it's a no, throw a no, it's a, and it's a dinger. 
I feel like Chris Gary's always got something to do with your home runs because I remember the last home run you hit before you uh, hung your cleats up, probably two or three years before you retired. Um, you you hit a, an authentic, like legitimate home run to to left field. There, there was you can't see anything against it. It was it, it came off the barrel of the bat. It flew out. There was no wind carrying it out. It wasn't a particularly shallow fence, <laughs> and, we're, and and everyone on the bench is in awe. They're just going, "What? God, he just hit a home run!" Because People who've seen Goddy Bat know that he generally hits the ball very high in the air, but he does not clear third base, right? It's, it's, it's pop-up city. But all of a sudden, he times one, he hits one, and, and, we, and we're thinking, wow, we're going to be telling this story for, for years. And actually, it was largely forgotten about because uh, later in the same game, Chris Gary hit a grand slam. And he, I, think, I, think, I could think I'm right in saying oh, yeah. that's his only home run ever in his entire in, in his entire baseball career and he's been playing uh, for the Trojans longer than I have um, so he, he kind of stole your thunder there didn't he <laughs> I'll let him have it eh? I'll let him you know it's his moment of glory he'll never he'll never hit another one <laughs> I'll let him have it <laughs> Ian sort of touched on them that I was uh, towards the end of your career um, if you could sort of relive any period of your career what years would you pick and why uh, probably I mean apart from winning the championship the Trojans the GB days playing in some of the ground some of the grounds are beautiful grounds played in facilities that are out of this world the likes of you know Natuno in Italy where we went for the Euros we, we stayed in the Olympic Village in Rome and the diamond, the diamond was actually on the Olympic Village. You know, you could see it from your room. But that, when we played in the tuna, I remember the likes of Gavin Marshall and uh, Ray Brownlee, a few few others. We we had a game in it. It's where the Italian national team are based. It's where they train in the tuna in Italy. And we got on the minibus and we're all, you know, it's probably about an hour drive. And then we got towards the stadium. It was huge. It looked like Wembley. And we just thought, that must be the local football team or something. And the coach driver said, no, that's where you're playing. We were playing Russia that day. I, was, I think I missed the first two innings. And uh, what a stadium. We got in, indoor bullpens. The only thing with indoor bullpens, when you're inside and you're throwing, you, you feel like your arms are gone. And then you get outside in the fresh air and you think. When we got in there, it was packed, the stadium. And then all the crowds started coming in. And it was just unbelievable stadium. There are likes of Harlem as well in Holland. Another beautiful ball ground is the Brasher Braves in Belgium in the middle of a wood. And you can hear them, you can hear the bats going echoing all around the world as you're walking up towards the ground and you're getting all the hairs on the back of your neck and standing up, you're getting quicker and quicker to get to the ground. They had a lovely restaurant there where you could sit and watch the ball game. Tell you about went there a couple of times in France. Beautiful ground, beautiful place, and uh, it was me. We got in trouble on that one. Uh, me and a lad called Matt from down south. 
Um, we played the first first time we beat France. We beat them two one on the Saturday or the Friday it was. So we went out just just local. We weren't going mad because we we're playing like over four days. So we're just sat having a the goose we used to call him Matt from Bournemouth. Can't think of his surname. So we just sat having a beer and then outside of this bar, two girls, a couple of French girls, uh, Fabienne, can't remember the, the mate's name. And they just said, do you mind if we sit down? And they were stunning looking. <laughs> These are from the opposing team and they want to take us out and like, you know, get us bevied or something. <laughs> so, we, so we said, yeah, yeah, have a drink. So they ended up, they ended up taking us out clubbing all around La Rochelle. I remember sneaking out three o'clock in the morning, just as we got to the back to the hotel. Mike Allen stood there, turns the torch on. Both of us stood there, just looking at it. All the others were in bed, and we just thought, he just had us, you know, fair and square. We said, Mike, you know, we just got carried away, and, you know. And the, and the girls came, funny enough, the girls came to every game after that, and they were sat in the stands, you know, came over. And, I don't know France where they give you two kisses. The four kisses they give you, I think it means more. So I was going to, how many kisses did you get off? And he went, two. And I said, well, I got three. So what does that mean? He said, oh, you're in there. <laughs> you must be in there. He just give you three, you're in there. <laughs> but I was, I was, you know, we were just having a bit of banter. And it was all good. But that was one of the, you know, it was a lovely, lovely place to play, that La Rochelle. And yeah. Uh, but uh, Italy and all that. It makes you play better, I think, when you're playing these lovely ball grounds. You concentrate more. You, you get the crowds coming in, so you've got to be on. You've got to be on point. Like you've got to, you know, there's all these people watching you, but you're concentrating that much, you don't notice the crowd. So you can hear it's like a sort of hum in the background. But um, yeah, some some great times though playing abroad. Great times. So um, when you do know it's a crowd is when you make an error. Um, so um, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but um, you had a very, very short one game. In fact, probably two innings stint with Preston Jazz um, yeah, in, yeah. in, in, uh, in, uh, in 2000-ish. Um, and um, I was playing right field um, and you were actually on the bench at this point. Uh, and it's when the finals were held in Brighton and they used to spend a ton of money on putting up grandstands and tons of people yeah, See, that was a lovely field, you wasn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's still going now. The Brighton Field, it's not the same as it was, I don't think, but it's it's you know it's still going now, and they're playing on it again. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so I was playing right field, which I, I couldn't have been any closer to to the grandstand without being, you know, on the other side of the fence basically. Um, and there's a there's a, a pop up hit between hit between second base and right field, and I'm about 18, 19 years old, full of youthful enthusiasm. Um, I haven't played much outfield up until the week before the final. I played infield, um, you know, the whole. I played second base the whole year, and then right towards the end of the year, they brought in some extra players, and they were like, oh, "I want to keep you back in the lineup, so you're going to play right field." And I was like, "All right, I, you know, I'm, I didn't think it'd be too difficult." Um, and this pop up comes up, and I scream and I shout, and I'm like, "My ball, my ball!" And I overran it completely in the ball ball landed about 10 15 feet behind me um and i was absolutely mortified and the whole crowd you know it's one of those moments where the whole crowd sort of gasped <laughs> and honestly the, the, the gas so loud they nearly knocked me over it was awful and then um it was actually after that inning 
um, when I was I was due up to bat, um, and I put my helmet on, put my batting gloves on, and I was told, "You're coming out of the game. You're being replaced." And do you know who replaced me? Hey. It was Martin Godsall. Um, <laughs> uh, if I remember rightly, and you might remember better than better than me, um, but uh, your second at bat, you got hit by an inside pitch and charged the mound. <laughs> uh, I remember it well. <laughs> um, and it was uh, it was it was in the it was in the days then when Channel Five used to come and record the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we we all drove back. We all drove back uh, on the. Uh, on the Sunday after, I think we lost on the Saturday. Um, we all we all drove back on the Sunday, and um, tuned. And some of us tuned in to watch the finals. And there was Goddy charging the mound on national TV. <laughs> Any publicity is good publicity, you see. It was all a plan. <laughs> um, so, what do you remember about your final game and getting prepared for what? What was what was your day like? I mean. Was it playing on your mind in the morning? How did it affect your preparation? And ultimately, what was going through your mind in those final few innings? Uh, well, I always prepare for the final match. So it starts the week before. I used to always visualise uh, how, how I wanted the game to go, really. And if it wasn't going that way, you know, what would happen? But I'd always... Uh, Preparation, eating the right foods. Because on a Sunday, if I'd played on a Sunday, I'd have a rest day, probably. Monday was definitely a rest. Tuesday, it was back into place, my arm, everything had stopped aching. So I do quite a lot of running then. And then that would be my start from the Tuesday up to the game on the Sunday then, or the Saturday or the Sunday. And I'd start preparing every day, eating the right foods, doing the running, going to the gym. But I build myself up to it. Because the worst thing I hate is when we got a rain off. Because I built myself up that much to the game that I was I didn't know what to do if the game got called off. So I'd have to go and take a few hacks like or you know, throw into a net or just get rid of the pencil of energy that I built myself up. But most of all it's it's focusing, it's getting in the right mindset because the likes of Ian will tell you and a few of the lads in the Trojans, whenever we're doing BP before the game on a final day, I'd be I'd be very quiet. I'd just be I'd just be thinking, trying to concentrate and going into myself and sort of just standing in the outfield, you know, waiting for pop flies like, but I I'd be I'd be visualizing the game and the batters and what score I want it to be in, in certain innings and you know, things like that. But mainly I'd just be focusing on game day on the final. And then uh, just concentration, concentration, and uh, getting together with Mikatia, talking about the batters, you know, what they, as I say, what, they, what they'll chase, what, what pits they like going for, what pits they'll lay off on, what can we get away with pitching to them, you know, things like this. You just, in the finals, you've got to do your homework, but you've obviously got to put the training in as well to get to them finals. I mean, because it's a long season. And when you get to that final, it's great when you, you've done all the hard work all season, getting to that stage, getting to that last game, and you've got to put everything into it, but you've got to be, you've got to have everything right in the right mindset, being, doing the right training, everything. 
So because one as I say, one mistake can lose you that game. One error can lose you that game. Yeah. And with it being your, your, the final game that you that you ever played in, how did your preparation change? Was was it the knowing that it was your last game as a player? Did that play in your mind, or were you just focused throughout and then worried about it afterwards? Yeah, I mean, last game, I'd never say never. <laughs> nice. But, but I thought, last game of the season, thinking, so I can put everything into it. But the last, it got to the seventh inning, and my elbow was sore. I could feel it. Whenever I threw a slide or anything like that, slide or anything like so fast, I was fine. But any bendy stuff, putting the pressure on the elbow, I could feel it. And I think we went to, uh, I think we asked a couple of the lads, did they want to pitch? And they were like, oh, no, 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 it's the final. So I just went off. Oh, I've got the whole season to recover. I can go another two in, two innings. But Dave Chris, he just pushed me so much that game. I was throwing strike after strike. And he was calling it ball. And I was like, he's trying to kill me. He's just trying to kill me. But it was so... They were right down the middle. Even the batters were start on the on the third third strike. They started to walk, and they, they call a ball, and they they'd be just they even even the batters cry, and I was just oh that's probably why my elbow went. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough game. I threw some. God knows how many pitches I threw that game, but I think every batter went full count on them. It felt like it at the end of the game. It anyway. was it was getting on for two hundred. I think we did have the we did have the count at the time because it was it was scored on. It was uh, ridiculous. Yeah, um, and uh, I think yeah, we did we did actually have some guys. If I remember rightly, because I was the manager of this game and I and I've been rightfully criticised for leaving uh, Martin in for so long because he actually he hadn't decided he was retiring at this point. Um, he you know <laughs> it was it, it came it came afterwards. Um, but um, I, I, you know, the, way, the way I remember it and the way I sleep at night is I went over to him around the seventh inning and said how are you doing are you okay and he went yeah and looked away from me straight away he didn't want to so I, I'm, I'm guessing that um, even if his even if his arm was hanging off he wasn't letting that into his head you know that he was just in his own and he was like oh, you know we're getting through this um, yeah he did with the pain afterwards yeah, but we always knew we got an early lead in that game. Um, it, yeah. was a, it was a good, it was a, it was a great game against uh, Nottingham Rebels, and they threatened several comebacks. Uh, obviously, we were the home team, so we batted second, and we didn't lose a single inning in that game. Even when I think uh, you know they stuck three runs on us a couple of times, and we either pulled back to three or scored five, uh, where that happened. And um, we know that if you if you know if you give Goddy a lead early on, then we knew we could. We were in with a really, really good chance of of, of getting home. Yeah, and, see, uh, that always helped me in my pitching days, having that lead. I, I always needed something to keep hold of, you know, because if you go through in and in, every in and it's just zero, zero, zero. I mean, it's not too bad if it's, you know, there's no score in the ball game. You still got that to look after. But once you get a lead, it just gave me that little bit more, you know, to to look after to. To work that little bit harder, like to keep hold of that lead, because it's always harder for the opposing team to play catch-up baseball. So it's great when you're in front; it takes the pressure off the rest of the rest of the team and the players. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, that brings me to the end of my questions. We've got a couple of listener questions. So the listener questions we've got, we've got uh, a few coming from the Buccaneers travel uh, baseball team, and this is a corker. It's not one that I get to so ask often. 
asking, if you could have a ride on Mower for doing the infield at Bootle, what would his first, second, and third choice colours be? First, second, and third choice colours. First, it's got to be, it's got to be green for the Trojans, hasn't it? Second's probably yellow. Um, a third would be red for the mighty Reds, Liverpool, who got beat last night, which was first time in ages at Anfield. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> You're talking to two Bolton fans. We don't feel sorry for you. <laughs> um, Mark Mills at Crazy Lefty Nine has asked, "What is his most fondest memory of playing?" Fondest memory of playing is probably. As I've said before, that, that first final, winning that first final, British champion, and the party afterwards, we were on the big cigars and everything. No one had a voice the next day. The beer was flowing. We had the hotel to ourselves, it, it seemed like, anyway. I think the barmaid went to bed and left us there. <laughs> but there, there. Great memories then, yeah. The big cigar, yeah. Winning that first British championship. And the GB days, as I say, playing in the air. Some of the lovely ball grounds you played in and the coaches you met and you know, great days. Great. Being very lucky really. Yeah. Uh, another one coming from Dennis Grogan. Uh, I am D Grogan. Uh Goddy has pitched against so many batters through the years. Who was his favourite to face and who was the toughest to face? The hardest, probably Frank Parker. One of, the, one of the hardest players to strike out. Uh, Ray Brownlee's another one. Uh, ben from Carmel. Uh, John Leith, Burton Wood. Unbelievable hardball hitter. But it's like all the Yanks, you can hit hardballs all day. Throw them something off speed. You don't know what day it is. So, um, who else? Top batters. Dennis, Dennis is good in his day. He's still doing all right these days, Dennis. He's uh, uh, bearing in mind where he's come back from. But yeah, I think, I think the reason Dennis has asked you is because um, from memory. So you were his... Um, Dennis had a horrific injury when he was pitching a few years ago. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the, what the broken bones were, but he was pitching off a mound um, and uh, he, throw, he throws right at you, Dennis. Um, and he, he basically broke all of his arm in about 20 different places just from... Just from throwing a ball and he hadn't played obviously he hadn't played um for a, for a few months after that obviously as you'd expect um and mm. uh Leicester it was traveled up to play the Trojans in a in a friendly and Dennis uh Dennis hit a home run off you um in the uh it was in a I say it was it was a pre-season game so I'm sure you weren't your competitive mindset um and it was his first home run and it, and it gave him he said to me before it gave him the belief that he can come back, you know, from, from such an injury. Um, and it was a little while longer until he pitched again. But now Dennis is, um, I think Dennis turns 50 this year, and uh, which is the age you were when you, when you retired. And Dennis is, Dennis is still going strong. Um, so I'm really, you know, I think, I think that mini victory off you, hitting a home run in a friendly, was enough to spur him on to, 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 to fight on. But yeah, great player, Dennis. Yeah, he's great. I mean, I remember that I played with Dennis on the GB days. I mean, he was in the GB setup for a while. I remember warming up with him, and I was thinking, Christ, he's got a hell of an arm on him. I'm not warming up with him anymore. He throws too hard. But uh, 
<laughs> yeah, he was, he was always good. He's a great player. Good arm and a good stick. Uh, good all that lad, like. Uh, loves the game. But uh, I remember when I was at Upper Hayford, and uh, I think we had two coaches over from the States. Mr. Nutstone, we were uh, the tour. I was die. I was in the outfield. I was dying for the way. And we were on this. It was an old air, American airbase. There was no one. We were the only ones on there. So I decided to turn around on the outfield fence and have a wee. Because it was a bit. I thought that. And then I turned around. And the coaches from the States had stood there. And all the other lads watching me. And the coaches were like, who is that guy? <laughs> and I was like, come on, lads, get on with it. And the coaches just called me over and went, shit, you can't do that, man. He said, you can't do that. I said, well, the toilet's about half a mile away. And I said, it was bursting. I said, there's no one else here. <laughs> well, the American coach, the two American coaches were just like, I was like, welcome to England type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dennis will tell you about that story. <laughs> uh, Ian, you got anything to finish us off with? It was just um, so um, you answered the toughest ones to face there, um, and um, there was a there was a guy who was around a few years ago um, that I know you've mentioned to me several times, Martin, um, uh, who you used to absolutely love facing. He was a superb hitter. I think he was certainly the first person to win the NBL Triple Crown, um, and he might have been, and I, I, uh, and he it might have been done since, but I don't, I don't think it's been done for. And it was uh, Edwin Alacantra, I think his name was. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, 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 we referred to him collectively as the beast on the team because this guy was enormous. Um, and uh, I remember... I always uh, had his number. Always had his number. He, he, he couldn't hit you. Um, every no, time no. he played against you, he couldn't hit you. Well, after so. every game, he'd come over and he'd be like, one day, one day I'm going to do it. And I was like, no, you got no chance, mate. No chance. <laughs> Dream on. <laughs> Uh, there was another question that came in from a listener, uh, Dan Strayer. Um, Dan used to play for Harrogate, and now he yeah, uh, uh, now he plays. Uh, now he, he he umpires mainly, but he has told me recently he's thinking about making a comeback. Um, so, great umpire. Uh, he great asked, umpire Dan. Oh, I agree. He made a, you know uh, he really along with Thomas Haywood and Rob Alger in that the finals we hosted at, at Bootwell a couple of years ago uh, did a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, his question was, "What's the secret? What's the secret behind the rising fastball?" <laughs> what's the secret behind the rising fastball? Yeah, he's convinced. He's convinced that you throw a rising fastball. Um, uh, you know, he's he's, he's umpired you plenty of times, and he, he says that the way the ball moves when you throw it, um, you know, it makes him it makes him jump in the box sometimes. That's <laughs> yeah, just. Uh, I mean, I just grip it and throw it. <laughs> Sometimes I throw and put, so even Paul Mason used to say, what was that you threw then? I was just saying, well, what I normally throw. He said, no, that it done something totally different. And I said, well, it's got the same grip on it and same mechanics. So it's one of them things, you know. Martin Shots, have you got any final advice for any young pitchers or one of your pitchers out there um, to give them uh, like how to have such a long and luxurious career? Um, what would you say to him? Yeah, it's all down to uh, hard work and, and dedication, really. Um, making sacrifices, you know. The lads used to be ringing me up, come on, we're going out Saturday night. 
and I do that. I can. I'm, I'm playing ball on Sunday, so you're making all those sacrifices. But it's it's hard work. It's training. You know, if you want anything, you've got to work for it. If you want to get to the top, you've got to. It's it's twenty four seven when you. I like to play for GB, and when you get to that standard, it's twenty four seven. You you know you you're thinking about it all the time. You're training all the time. The training was the hardest bit for me. Playing seemed to be the easy bit because you put all the hard work in. So you know, I pushed myself really hard in training, and then I get to the ball field and. You know, the day before the game, eating the right foods, getting your rest, turning up at the ball field, all fresh, ready to go. You know, and um, just uh, looking after yourself and hard work and dedication and listening to good coaches, believing in yourself as well. You know, people, you know there's people said to me, oh, no, you'll only, you, won't, you, won't, you won't make it in the GB and all. Just believe in yourself. Don't, don't listen to them. You know your own body. You know what you're capable of doing. If you put the hard work in and the dedication, you'll get there. So just, just carry on doing what you do. But as I say, it's you know, it's tough. It's it is tough life, but the rewards you get at the end, it's all worth it. It's all it's all good. And you'll be made up with yourself as well. Yeah. Uh, it's tradition in the show to leave the last word open to the guests. So uh Goddy, you got any shout outs you wanna give? Any um, any other bits you wanna go over? Yeah, I'd like to give uh a lot of a big shout out to Josh Chetwind for um uh, I think it starting the ball rolling and Ian and um Dave Byers and all the Trojans, Norman Wells, um, and everyone involved with putting me forward for the Hall of Fame. I couldn't be more proud, really. Um yeah, made up again. Eh? But uh, thanks to anyone. I mean, there's probably a lot of other people involved which you know, I've missed out, but you know, if I have, just uh, hats off to them. Thanks very much for putting me through. Excellent. Uh, Hall of Famer Martin Godsell, thank you very much for, be, for your time. Uh, Lisi, thanks for being a couple. Uh, great questions. And we'll catch you all soon. And off they both trot into the night, uh, Ian and Martin. Great, great to have them both on the show. Um, legends of the British game there. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, why not let me know what your biggest takeaways were from that? Um, uh, would, would it be the pitching side, or developing a competitive mindset? Um, or any other bits that, that are in there that you thought were really good and interesting? Um, don't forget, if you can leave a review for the show, wherever you can, that'd be great. If you want to give us a little rating too, uh, please do so. And uh, get in touch with the show if you've got any feedback. You know that I take it on board and, and I try to incorporate as much as I can. Uh, also, if you want to try and support the show a bit more, um, if you found that you've got a few quid left over after you donated to charity or you're given to a British baseball club that may be in need of some support, I've set up a, an account over at buymeacoffee.com and uh, if you just look for British Baseball Podcast, uh, for the price of a virtual brew, you can help me to try and fund the show to get better content and to, um, yeah, just just help me out a bit more uh, generally with, with the running of the of the podcast. Uh, and that's all for now. Enough groveling and begging from me. Um, stay safe. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll speak to you all soon. Tara.